The following is a podcast with Corey Hagman. Corey is an IFBB bikini pro. She is currently in school to become a nurse, and she is also a coach under John Jewett. And if you are familiar with myself and the channel, you'll know that I am a very big fan of the models that John Jewett promotes, especially when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs. And that is a little bit of what we discussed here. We discussed Corey's background, how she got into bodybuilding competitively, and how she ended up being a coach under John. In this podcast, we discuss how to choose a coach and things to look out for to make sure the coach has your best needs and longevity in mind. We discuss how she manages expectations with her athletes. We also discuss female PED stack design and why Anabar might not be the best first choice for a female choosing to take PEDs. We discuss all that and more in the podcast. So stay tuned because I really had a fun time doing this podcast with Corey. She's super down to earth, even in this one conversation that I've had with her. And I really, really look forward to having future discussions with her. If you haven't seen her content already, check it out because she's posting up some really, really awesome reels on Instagram at the moment. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to the channel and consider leaving a review on your favorite listening platform. Thanks for watching. How's it going, everybody? Today, I have Corey Hagman on the podcast. Corey is an IFBB pro in the bikini class. She won her pro card at the 2021 USA's, and she is also a coach uh, under J3, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I, I think that's where I first heard of you. Um, if you don't mind, could you give a brief introduction to my audience as to who you are and um, kind of how you came to become a bikini competitor and then how you even came across J3 and started working with them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say thank you for having me on. I mean, like, dude, you just had Victoria on and like following that, I'm like, oh, that's intimidating. So um, <laughs> if sure. listeners haven't checked out your episodes, then I mean, like, hey, you're these are like gems, like between Victoria, Joe, I mean, definitely, definitely take a look. But um, I, um, uh, I've been bikini pro and I mean, I've been competing since 2015. I got into it originally to really, really just try to take myself um, athletically to that next level. I always played sports in high school and growing up and in college, that was around the time that I began tuning into more of that I don't know, individualized process as an athlete. I really enjoyed weightlifting, but I mean, like any 16, 17 year old girl, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was in the gym, I was showing up. Um, same thing with food. I mean, I I was tracking calories and macros actually in high school. And when I got to college, I was like, okay, there's definitely a craft to this. And I want to see what I can do with it. I want to uh, really have control of my body composition, which I mean, what, teenage girl doesn't feel that way, but I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't just like restrict, uh, maybe binge a little bit. So I utilized flexible dieting, um, you know, big, big shout out and credit to Lane Norton. Cause he was actually like the first person to really have a imprint on me, um, in, in fitness. And I mean, like his work back then, I mean, I don't know if, um, you remember like he was like the pioneer for like flexible dieting and bodybuilding. And I mean, it was so cool to see that, to see someone like, I don't know, really take the opposite direction that others were taking with bodybuilding at that time. Um, you know, so it was inspiring. And honestly, I think 
that in itself, being able to flexible diet and and see the results like, hey, it is this, um, you know, black and white. And in a lot of cases, at least for where I was at at that point, it motivated me to want to see, well, how far can I take this? Because in that culture in bodybuilding in 2015, I mean, you didn't have females do anything but row diets. I think even even male competitors as well. I should, yeah, shouldn't yeah. say females. Um, just flexible diet or just uh bro diets and it was very restrictive so you know I was seeing results um on my own in the gym and with my physique and I was like you know I'm gonna try to coach myself um and maybe I will end up on stage so I, I did I started a prep and I coached myself to stage a few months later I did really well I, I got first in teen and then um you know, it's open as well. But I mean, like at that time, it was just like, whoa, like I made it to stage. Like that was the, that was like a, such a win for me. So, um, I competed a few weeks later, um, in a national qualifier, but I it had no concept around what that was. I did. Okay. I, it was really big show as the Phil Heath classic. And at that time I'm like, man, I'm, I'm tiny. And like, I was tiny for 2015 bikini standards. So, now looking back and like I would have would have needed a lot of work to hit the standards for today's criteria. Um it's an off-season reverse dieted, got into powerlifting, and I fell in love with that style of training. I mean, I, I loved honestly, a bench was like my favorite. And like I, I was following this really like um I don't know, strength focused split because I'm like, you know what? Everything I'm saying is that like in order to build the muscle that you need as a male athlete, you're not really going to get a lot out of this high volume training. So I might as well do something that's fun and that's challenging because competing isn't really going to get me the physique that I want. So I did a meet in um, USAPL and I love that. That was fun. And I very humbling because I'm, I'm not that strong. I I'm strong for a individual for a human, but like compared to these girls in 63 class, I'm like, geez, I'm weak. Like I need more time and muscle and et cetera. But, um, I did a few more shows uh, a couple years later and then I finished school, uh, started my first job and I, I really just wanted to put all my time there. So I, I took a break from competing. I didn't really have that drive to continue. Cause I was like, I've got all these other endeavors that I am excited for. So it wasn't until 2020 that I, you know, kind of made my way back to the stage and, um, believe it, or, I mean, <laughs> believe it or not, I did wellness. I, that was actually my first show back. Um, I did well in the same bikini. Cause I was like, you know what? I've been off stage for a while. I don't, I, I have terrible stage fright. I, I don't like that setting. So I was like, it would probably help to get a little more time. Um, and wellness at the time was very loose. Like the criteria just was like, yeah, just bigger bikini and like a little, a little more muscle. And, um, it did well there, but I was like, you know, I don't think I can make that commitment long-term to what I think they want, even though I was told I, I won overall, but I mean, like, let's be honest, like the number of competitors at the show wasn't that much. It's one of those things, like the judges, they really wanted to bring in new athletes into the division. But I mean, I kind of was skeptical that like, Hey, these Brazilian girls, I don't look like them. I don't even look like the top bikini girls. So like, I kind of had a decision to, um, to make, you know, Hey, do I, what, what am I comfortable doing? And I, at the time competing, I mean, like 
being in the sport in some capacity for about like six years, seven years, I was like, I just don't see myself taking another four to five years to grow into the seat for wellness. So I honestly, I'm going to do the, um, the thing that is more realistic. And let's say I go to bikini and I outgrow it. Cool. I can cross that other bridge at that time, but I, I'm still yet to do that. I'm still, still undersized for bikini, even at the pro level. So I don't, I don't see that in my future. Um, yeah, I, turned pro the following year at junior USA's. I won my class and won the overall, which was a really big milestone when, you know, when you kind of look at the history of like, Hey, you've been at this for a long time. And, um, I mean, going into the show, like I've talked about this on a few episodes, uh, different podcasts. I, I didn't want to get on stage the day I won my pro card. I was like, I don't even think I'm conditioned enough. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get shit on. Like this is not gonna be a fun day and um, pretty self-deprecating and and not not all the time uh, really accurate, especially close to stage. Not looking accurately at things, but um, you know, it was at that point I was like, hey, I I gotta kick this attitude because this in itself is so heavy to carry on and like to carry with me through competitions. Like it's just it's not really conducive with. The kind of athlete I want to be. So I did a pro, I did a three pro shows. Um, after that, I did extremely well. My, my pro debut, I got second to Ashley Kaltwasser, which I freaking love her. Like she's, she's bikini, uh, on a hall of fame. I mean, a, a bodybuilding hall of fame in, in the female side of things, but like bikini, like gold. So, um, to be able to compete with her and feel at all remarkably like, even just like standing next to her was like a really like cool experience. Um, but yeah, that kind of brings me to, I wanted to challenge myself this year, uh, this last year in 2022, I worked with John Jewett for my off season after turning pro, uh, because I mean, it was the same thing. Hey, you're small, uh, to, to get the look that you want to be successful, to achieve these aspirations, you need more muscle. And it's like, it's not just, oh, you need a pound. Like you need a lot more muscle. So reach out to John. Um, the time I knew hormonally, like things were a little off and like, I, it, it sounds, sounds bad, but like, there's a lot of people who compete with their hormones off. So it's not like, I don't want listeners to get the wrong idea and be like, oh, like what was wrong? Like, no, it's just like standard, like suppressed sex hormones. Like, I mean, that's, I want to say that's actually extremely common for female athletes in this sport. Um, it doesn't mean it should be that way, but it is the reality. A lot of people just aren't looking at, uh, they're not looking at lab work because, hey, if you don't look at it, like you don't have a problem, right? So when I started looking at it, I saw, hey, I, I need some help. Um, reached out to John, did blood consult with him, started working with him to manage my training, to facilitate some of that growth. And it was around the end of the year. I was like, Hey, you know, I, I'm with a coach right now. I, I think I'm at the point where I'm ready to either move on to a coach who, who can better fit my needs. Or I actually think, honestly, I, I think I might want to coach myself, John being John. I'm like, what do you think of this? So you've worked with me six months. You see the kind of athlete I am. Is this feasible? And please like, you know, just, if it's not tell me like, you know, point me in the direction, like, what would you do? And he encouraged me to pursue, Hey, like try, try to coach yourself this year. I, I really think you can do it. Um, I'd love to be a part of this and help you see out your fullest potential. 
as a bikini professional um, and, and a self, self-coached athlete. So um, yeah, prep myself this year with John's guidance. And I mean, like that in itself was a, was an honor to like be able to work with him in that capacity. So um, around that time, uh, around two months into prep, he's like, Hey, if you, I know you coach and I, I honestly, I started coaching probably earlier than I should have, but I was coaching um, when I was first getting into competing, just helping people with just understanding, Hey, like here's, here's what flexible dieting can do. Um, and that's really where the motivation came to like, Hey, I can teach people how to at least have some autonomy with their diet rather than current, I guess, back then what the standard was for nutrition and for fat loss. So, um, you know, John asked me like, Hey, is this something you want to do professionally as well? Um, do you want to coach and be a part of, um, you know, my, my team and it, it would be, it, it would be great to work with someone that I know in this capacity coaches similarly preps themselves similarly and, and is a firm believer in, in aligned with all of, um, all of his core values. So I came on in about a year ago around this time. And yeah, I mean, that, I, that's extremely, extremely long-winded answer. Um, yeah. so I hope, hope people are still with us, but, um, that's kind of the backstory. No, I appreciate that. It was really thorough. Um, it seems like <clears throat> your introduction into bodybuilding. I mean, even just having the, like I, I went, so you mentioned like, oh, I wonder if you're familiar with, or, uh, were you familiar with, um, uh, Lane Norton when he was doing all that stuff and like the bodybuilding forums, I wasn't. And it's funny cause I actually backtracked. So I started bodybuilding doing, if it fits your macros. And then I went to bro dieting for like whatever reason, like, and then I finally like had to relearn the same lesson years later, but it seems like you kind of, you caught on early and you were doing some of the things like correctly I, i'm not sure like not, and, and i don't mean to say correctly but probably in a, in, a, in a little bit better of a way than what the standard like you said of, of competing was did you have any moments or like little like blips where you maybe saw the standards of what was currently being done in other realms like peds um, or training um, maybe it was being prescribed or it was being prescribed to you um, that made you kind of question things or was it like kind of just learning as you you went along if that's makes sense. Um, I know it's a great question and I, I think I appreciate I, I think I've done a lot right that I'm I'm proud of I'm like okay well you know the nutrition like I didn't do it terribly wrong at first right. um the PPD side of things I mean it's something that for listeners who are more familiar with like I've posted on Instagram and had, um, shared my competitive career for a while. I mean, really since, since those first shows. So, I mean, like I, it's kind of crazy to, to have people are like, I remember when you did, I, I had this podcast in, um, 2016, 2017, uh, oh, wow. no video audio yeah, yeah. where I had athletes like in bikini and I guess some, maybe a figure girl or two, who wanted to talk about their PED use, but anonymously they wanted to talk about it. And I, I mean, I was, I think early twenties. So I was like, I don't know how much value I can bring, but I want to give you a platform to talk about this stuff because there is a prevalence of this and it's so taboo. And it's something that like, I, I don't know how much I can help, but I think my, 
viewership, the type of people that like to follow me, I think they care about at least knowing this stuff. And even if we're not breaking down like the path of this, I still think it'd be valuable to hear real interactions and, and use and what that led to, um, whether that's good or bad. And that was, um, I mean, gosh, I did like a few episodes. It wasn't like an ongoing thing, but it was, it's, um, those people who follow, who followed me, like when I was doing things like that, they're seeing content. Now they're like, oh my gosh, this is full circle. Like, congrats. You learned, like you learned more about this. And really, I do have to give credit, you know, to John, um, because, Prior to working with him in 2021, um, I was doing a lot wrong with PEDs. And like, it really was, I would say, attributed to the mindset of, hey, there's a gap between my knowledge and this. And I recognize that I'm willing to make the jump from being natural to being enhanced. However, I don't know what that encompasses. I don't know to what degree I should assume risk. And I don't know what those risks are. So working with a coach, you know, in, in 2020, I, or 2021, um, you know, he had me doing a lot of things that I, I've looked back and like, huh, like I know at the time I kind of had that gut check of like, you know, this doesn't seem great, but I don't know anything else. Like I don't, this guy gets everyone their pro card and like, he's very good at dialing people in. So if he's doing it this way, this must be what everyone's doing. And, you know, the interactions I had with, you know, other competitors around this topic, it was very much like, yeah, that's just what everyone does. So it wasn't until finishing my season that year. And I, I had, a, um, I pulled my serratus and like, I mean, like at that point, like literally dude, I had like ice packs, like in my sports bra, like literally to go to sleep. Cause it was just, it was so painful. Like, and like, I, did my last shows and I'm like, okay, I got to take a break. I know I've been competing too long. Like the back-to-back -back seasons, it just, it's not ideal for obvious reasons. So I need to start putting time, like all this time I put into competing, um, earning my pro card and like taking it to that level. I need to put that back into correcting, um, maybe some, some poor decisions or, um, just naive decisions I made. And, you know, when I reached out to John, I was supplementing with DHEA uh, to correct low testosterone because, I mean, I have lab work to show. I mean, like even from when I was early on into competing, like, you know, nine, 18, 19, like my test has been low and the coach I was with um, in 2021 was like, yeah, slap some DHEA on it. Like hundred milligrams were good. And like, it's like, cool. Okay. It brought it up. But you know, when I reached out to John, I'm like, I'm okay if this is the best answer, but I don't know if it is. And I don't know if the coach I was working with, I don't know if he has the same level of expertise. And, and I think if I'm going to make this commitment to being a professional bodybuilder, I need to do my due diligence and understand what I'm doing, what are the risks and, and really like make that informed decision. So John immediately was like, yeah, so like DHEA, that's not, really a long-term solution that is going to be a very very quick fix and like in the grand scheme of things uh, grand scheme of things if you are trying to be a professional athlete like this might not be the best option and there are other options to explore and I mean we kind of did that with all of the compounds that were in place we're like okay let's take a look and see like what was in place was it potentially in place uh, for the wrong reasons, like in order to compensate for um, an area that was untapped elsewhere. And 
you know, that education, I mean, like I, you know, bought J for you before the consult. So it's already kind of like getting familiar with like, okay, I'm doing a lot wrong. This is so not how it's supposed to be. I mean, like, um, and then to get on the call with them and, and hear that I'm like, okay, well, that's good to know that. Like I was able to achieve, um, you know, high success in relative to my, my career. Uh, but I don't want to do things incorrectly knowingly. So, um, I'm going to take the means necessary to re-educate my, or I guess, uh, fundamental, fundamentally educate myself. And yeah, I mean, I think that has really spurred a motivation to understand, you know, a, a model that is very conducive with, for one, preserving that femininity, which for bikini, especially like you, you gotta have that, like you, you can't sacrifice it. Like you're, you're every, I don't know, the further, the further you let it progress, like it, it shortens your career. So I wanted to find uh, a way to understand what I was doing, whether that be self-coached, working with John, working with a different coach. And I feel like at this point, I, I can pretty much call bullshit if there is something that's being prescribed and, and now can see it in other athletes. Like, Hey, like if, if you don't have any kind of background knowledge on this, it might be worth investing in educating yourself so that if you want to take what your coach is recommending, you at least know the risks that are associated with that. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, I mentioned this on the podcast with Victoria, but it speaks really to becoming an, an informed, um, consumer, right. Having some base level of knowledge when you're going out looking for coaches, um, and looking for advice is just like, Hey, you know, obviously so it sometimes is difficult to source that knowledge, but, um, it can definitely allow you to kind of sift through a lot of the misinformation. If you have like a baseline of, okay, here are some things that I should be looking out for. Right. Um, actually, and I'm kind of curious, do you have kind of some framework? Like if you had some key points, if someone was out there looking for, uh, like a female competitor was looking for a coach, um, and probably on the enhanced side as well, are there some kind of key things that are just like, um, you know, either red flags or things that they should kind of be aware of when, um, kind of scoping for, um, accurate advice? Yeah, I, I think Anna Bar is, are I I have a video where I call it like it's entry level and I really should not have said that because now I, I think people like oh that's just what bikini competitors use and on the contrary it's like not what we should be using initially like that's not that's something maybe there is a rationale to work up to it but hey like that shouldn't be deployed that shouldn't be your first introduction to PEDs and um, I see that pretty commonly amongst bikini athletes is like it's just very well accepted um very little resistance to hey let's start seven and a half ten milligrams 15 milligrams of anabar and that's a problem i mean um we know that anabar is heavily faked it's very hard to source it so you have these coaches that are recommending um higher doses because they have to cut it somehow and if you're having to cut score or something that's 30 milligrams. Like what are the chances that actually is Anavar? Like, yeah. you know, so I think globally, like being very cautious about anabolic use, that would be like, um, 
I've been listening to too much Liver King or coverage of Liver King, but that would be my first tenant for like female, <laughs> like don'ts. Um, be very, be very aware of like, Hey, if, if an anabolic is like your first thing that the coach is like, this is what we're going to have to do. It's not even that there isn't a case for Anabar. It's that there is likely something that should be deployed before. And really when it comes down to that, I mean, like exhausting every resource you have possible. And I mean, like before supplements that comes down to your programming, um, you know, diet and training included peak management. I mean, you, I know you're familiar, like John is huge on making sure that like you were setting yourself up for both optimal fat loss and hypertrophy and in training and training in both settings. And like, it's really easy to, for us type A's to be like, yeah, like I just, I, I can't stop. I am just going to keep working. And I just going to be at the gym until, you know, one thirty in the morning and get up at seven, go to work. It's like, what are we doing? Like, why are you working so hard to make such like little progress like you're you're not actually facilitating what you're trying to achieve you're actually making it harder to reach that goal and um i i would say that like if someone doesn't have nutrition training all of the easy stuff the stuff that is fundamental and even though we know it's not even though it's so nuanced within those realms as well like get that ironed out and even before that, get your adherence ironed out. Like, you know, if you're having issues, like following a program period, that's something you got to work on. Like PEDs is like, that's like the end. Like that's like, once you have everything done. And I think there are PEDs that are non-antrogenic and those should be leveraged prior to the use of an anabolic. And it goes back to that risk of virilization. I mean, you can't really test responsiveness with an anabolic outside of the scope of testosterone and testosterone. Although we have good evidence to support that it is, I mean, it is very virilizing, like it is a virilizing compound, however, used in a, in a, used in a framework that is meant to restore normal and normal high physiological levels, you know, so for listeners who don't know, that is sub 100 nanograms per deciliter and even then like you, you don't have to push it to 100 you can like you can stay at 60 you can stay at 70 and like feel great so it's like we know that these compounds we know what they do we have the transgender community to thank for that like we have so many studies to support um when masculinizing side effects occur and you know although some of them can be reversed not all of them can and it's something like I, I have a pretty low voice to begin with. It's not a very flowery girly voice, but like, I don't want that to change. I don't want it to get any lower. I don't want, I, I have decent skin. I don't want to have acne. I don't want structurally things become more prominent, uh, anatomical changes. Like I, I want to stay a girl. So like, I'm really, really passionate about keeping my athletes and women who come to me, if they want to stay girls, like I want to keep them girls. And that's a conversation I think like coaches are afraid to have because what does that do? It turns the client off of taking drugs. It turns them into potentially questioning, Hey, is this person really looking out for my best interest? And I think globally, the way coaching works, you make a lot of money off your bikini athletes because there's so many of them, there's a lower barrier to entry. So whether directly, whether intentional or unintentional, I think 
that has to be considered is like, what is the motive for not disclosing some of the risk to your female athletes? And I mean, some, some people come in with a really good education. Well, no, Hey, I, I, I get what I'm signing up for, but even then it's like, do you trust that they're not going to have any regrets? And are you okay knowing that this person that you allow to take X compound, you support them doing that? What if in 10 years, things don't sound the same, things don't look the same, and they blame you? Because I mean, like, we can all look back and reflect and be like, hey, I I, I should have had someone intervene because like, I, I was an idiot. Like, I needed that guidance that I couldn't give myself. And I think it's really important for especially female athletes to understand like you are not paying for that from a coach. It's great when you get it, but like you cannot guarantee that you can't guarantee that safety, that protection. And like, um, I, I think it, it's like, it breaks my heart when I hear girls that like they've been competing, um, you know, a couple of years they've done, you know, maybe, maybe one or two shows and they're younger than I am. And they, their voices, I mean, like they, they know it it sucks that it's like the reality. It's like they put trust in someone that either in unintentionally, hopefully unintentionally led them down a path that now they can't fix. They can't take that back. I mean, and that's best case scenario. Then you have the ones that, I mean, I had a call with a girl literally yesterday who her coach, coach literally told her, um, I've had one girl, her voice has changed after taking, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't think that'll happen with you, but we'll, we'll monitor it. And I mean, like, you know, to his credit, okay, he's being honest, but I'm also like, yo, like she is amateur bikini and like, what, what was plan A? And if this is plan A, like, I, I think there's some adjustments that should be made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's really interesting. So like, I think you have a, a coach obviously making sure that they're asking you, um, you know, and, and addressing training, nutrition, and recovery or fatigue management, as you said, um, before even having the discussion on PEDs. And then when the discussion on PEDs does come up, informing the, they're informing you of the potential risks and, and drawbacks of that. Um, and having kind of a dialogue with you too, I think is something that um, you didn't necessarily say, but it was kind of alluded to through that whole, um, um, uh, you know, discussion you had really like having a dialogue of like, you know, what is it that you want? What is it that, um, that you you want to get out of competing? What, what, what are you willing to take as far as risk? And then obviously I think you also have a certain kind of cutoff as a coach where you're like, Hey, like I'm not going to lead someone down X path. And I'm going to, you know, I, 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 we were discussing this before the podcast, but having kind of like a, this is, this is my limit as a coach. Like I am not going to, I have kind of some values and some things that I stick to, and I'm not going to sacrifice those for someone who wants to take, say a lot of risk um, to be at a certain level. Right. Um, could, can you kind of um, discuss that a little bit of like client expectations and um, you know, someone like, I think a lot of people will be like, like, especially, you know, high level competitors, they'll come to you and they'll be like, okay, well, like uh, this is it. This is my life. This is what I do. Um, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, right? I, that happens in the male side as well as the female side, right? I'm I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. How do you navigate that conversation? Um, and is it, you know, is it? I don't want to say like 
it's not necessarily your job to even really change their mind, but really just to inform them. I, yeah, I guess is how do you navigate that conversation? It's it's a great question. Um, I I have a I have very few things that I regret doing um, as as a coach, but I just I'm saying broadly in life, like I, I try not to like look back and and have a lot of regrets. But the things that I, I do have regrets around. Um, largely like I mean they they were associated with with not trusting that you know guttural like instinct of hey like this this isn't what you want to do and whenever I'm speaking with a client or potential client who I believe is trying to you know muscle me into giving them guidance around something that like frankly like you're you're barking up the wrong tree like you know you know, like I, you know, I don't want to do this. Like I talk about it constantly, like, you know, but you want the guidance, like you want to do it as safely as possible, which I can respect. But, um, I think, I think bridging, um, I'm sorry, working with John and having more opportunity to work with clients who are in either divisions that have a higher muscularity requirements or just being exposed to clients who have higher aspirations. That frequency has allowed me to really, really be thoughtful around, you know, I can, I can agree to this. I can put it on the client, but I, I have to ask myself, like, you know, if I was coming to me when I was younger. And if I, if I said like, yeah, I want to do whatever it takes. What if I, what if my voice did change? What if I couldn't have kids because of something that I dabbled in? Uh, you know, what if my life was impacted in a way that, you know, couldn't be reversed? What, what would I do? Would I, would I blame the person who was involved? And I'd like to think, no, I look back at instances where I, I didn't have that same kind of support and sure, like even with a high degree of personal accountability, like you still want to say like, yeah, like I'm, I'm an adult. I mean, my decisions, but there is still that part of me that looks back and is like, you know, I am not going to give myself so much of a hard time for doing something that I, I didn't have any business doing, or I didn't I wasn't fully educated. I never really gave that informed consent. I, I put a little little bit of that on the person who was aware, who was informed. And I mean, I'm for listeners who don't know, I'm in nursing school and you know, understanding like the policies around informed consent with uh, as a nurse and how your role, you know, plays in there. Like it's not your job as the nurse to explain the procedure. It's not your job to even make sure that the client um you know, doesn't have any, any fears or questions that's on the doctor, that's on the surgeon. And, you know, having that set boundaries of like, Hey, like, can you really get informed consent when someone hasn't been informed? Well, I don't, I don't think you can. And even if I'm very, very direct with a client around like, Hey, there's a very good chance that this dose or with this compound, this is what you will likely experience. I, I still think like I have to ask myself like okay what if there's a chance they do regret trusting me and I don't think I'm okay with that I, I don't think I'm okay even with the possibility of that so you know hey you lose you lose a client they go somewhere else like it's unfortunate I wish them the best but like 
I can also go to sleep at night knowing like, Hey, I didn't partake in something that like, you know, intuitively I knew like, Hey, this wouldn't be smart. And if this was me, if, if this was a friend of mine doing this, I would want someone to at least make it harder on them to engage in that kind of, I don't know, that kind of behavior, but I, I sound, um, saying it like that, I realize how like, uh, parental I sound, but it, it is like one of those things you have to look at. Like if someone doesn't understand the scope of the risk they're taking, they're not informed. Like how can they really give consent to that? And I just think like being a female athlete, the use of PEDs, it is very unforgiving. So I would rather scare the shit out of a client and be like, yeah, this is a possibility. Like if you're cool with it and your division requires it and it's okay. I would rather be upfront about it so that if something does happen, you know, okay, well, they, they knew what they were getting into and it wasn't something that they're like, yeah, like you just wanted to put me on stage and, and get a good comparison picture. Like, um, I know, yeah, I, it's, it's a hard thing to navigate though. I, I think there are coaches out there who specifically work with those higher level divisions, with higher muscularity requirements. Um, and I, I'm sure I'd be very curious to hear how they navigate these conversations. Right. Yeah. But I think that's a uh, very admirable because of the fact that like, I think you, you have your values, you have your, your kind of, you know, your integrity with that. And you're not compromising on that, right? You're saying, Hey, this is, I have, I have a line and, and, and I know this too. Anytime I've ever had something where I did, I felt off about, it was really just because it did not align with, with who I was or my value system. And when I get that kind of feeling, I know now, like this isn't, you know, this isn't right. This is not something that aligns with you. And you're going to have some form of regret or, or negative emotions around this if you follow through. Right. So I think that's very admirable, especially as a coach. And I think that um, there's something to be said about these people do look up to you. You know, if someone has taken the time, spent the money and invested with you as a coach, um, you know, there's, there's probably, they've been exposed to you for a period of time. Usually, you know, they, they, they have a certain level of trust with you. And um, like you said, it's, I mean, it, 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 they, they, they trust you and breaking that trust. I mean, for me, I would, I would feel, you know, terrible about that. Um, but I think they're, like you said, they'll also seek, you know, that somewhere else and that's fine. They can do that. But um, I do think that's very admirable. It made, it really made me think about, um, I had someone ask me once, um, like, do I ever regret the decisions I've made around bodybuilding, like PD use and stuff like that? And I always say no, because I was aware of the risk that I was taking when I decided to do it. I had sat down with myself, looked at the long-term implications and the short-term implications of that. And I had said, I'm okay with this. Like if this were to kill me or do whatever it may do, like the worst case scenario, it is something that I have already agreed upon that is I'm okay with. And then I can kind mm -hmm. of lead with that and, and understand, like, I know what the risk is that I'm taking and now I can move forward and I don't have to have any regret or fear around the decisions I make. I mean, that would be another thing to be carrying that burden of like, I wonder if this is going to kill me. Like, I wonder if I'm going to get, you know, these side effects, right? It's like, well, you, you that shouldn't be a question that you should, or a fear that you should have. You should know, hey, this is potentially what's, what can happen. And I'm okay with it, right? Yeah. And that was, um, I think that was something that early on, I didn't really understand. I didn't really understand that decision-making process. And I, I think being able to, 
take a very evidence-based approach, you know, to uh, PED use and understanding that like, hey, not only is there a good framework that is, you know, being discussed in today's climate, but there's a framework that encompasses PEDs that are non-antrogenic and like, gosh, like there's a lot that you can do as an enhanced athlete without ever touching an anabolic for the purpose of hypertrophy. And I think like that's an area that I, I'm excited to be able to talk more about and, and to kind of point, point women in that direction of like, Hey, like if you get to the point where an anabolic makes sense and there's good rationale, like I respect it, there's zero judgment, but like. You're good. My dog just uh, sniffed my. My you're good, you're card. good. Sorry. Go um ahead. oh no, I'm gonna ask you about capture cards after this. Cause <laughs> <laughs> um I think it I think it's one of those things, um being able to like kind of point women in directions of like, hey, if if you would like to achieve, you know, a a a very difficult goal in bodybuilding. I mean, like it it's something that is attainable even with the use of non-androgenic PEDs. And there, there's still so many options. Like, I mean, there's still so much that you can do outside of that. And I mean, like, I would even say like for these higher divisions, like if you're not exhausting every tool that you have prior to the anabolic, like I would just want to understand like, what is the thought process? And the fact is, I don't think there's a thought process for a lot of individuals and it's not I would actually say it's not to their fault. It's more to like, Hey, this is what my coach does. This is how he's always, he or she has always done things. And I don't know. I would really encourage them like, Hey, like, like start asking questions. And like, if these yeah. questions, like not, not in a way of like, Ooh, challenge your coach, like tell them, you know, better or something mm -hmm. like that. But like ask questions because whether you get an answer or not, that is going to give you the information around like, Hey, what is your coach's decision-making process? And I, I think, I think currently, I think what's happening this year even is, I mean, there is a lot of eyes on this topic around females and seeing it being discussed more and more. I mean, like it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see where the bikini division is going. I mean, like, I, I personally love this look, this super like hard, dense look. And I know people are like, it's out of hand. It's supposed to be attainable. It was never attainable. Like, okay. Like it was easier, but like now it's like really unattainable. And that's, that's cool. Like I, I like how I look in, in that, um, in that condition, but you know, with that being said, there's also the reality of like how attainable is that naturally? And especially as you start looking at like the national level and, and the level of competition, even at the pro league, when you look at those top athletes, it's like they work hard. That's not even a question that a lot of people in the sport work very hard, but like, is that still realistic for a natural athlete? Is that realistic for someone who maybe isn't genetically gifted? And I, I think continuing to talk about these things and how they can be leveraged to help uh, facilitate work you're already doing. I think that's going to be really helpful for female listeners. Yeah. I, I uh, wanted to, to touch on something you said there. That's another great thing uh, is asking why, if you're kind of vetting a, a coach or a potential uh, um, you know, someone to, to take advice from, it's just ask why a bunch of times. And if their rationale and their systems aren't, you know, in place and they aren't built on logic and, you know, evidence that that will be revealed if you ask why enough times, right? 
Like yeah. if it's just like, it's just because, or just do it, then there's, there's probably something wrong with the framework they're working under. Right. Um, so yeah. I think that's a great, a great thing to point out is just like, why? And just keep asking that. And you can, you can learn a lot from just asking why. Yeah. You, you'll get your answer, whether they give you an answer or not. And that's right, right. like kind of the beauty. It's like, yeah. If you're not asking your coach why you're doing something, which that was, that was the case for me. Like I, with coaches that I, I haven't necessarily been like, I've kind of known in the back of my mind, Ooh, Hey, like what we're doing, like kind of goes against, like even the, yeah. the little, I know what I've heard in, in other communities. And I remember like, I, I was hesitant to ask questions. Well, Hey, that's, that's enough reason to be like, why are you hesitant? Right. Like, did yeah, you think yeah, yeah. it was like taking a, over-the-counter supplement because like it's yeah um I think Justin Shire talked about that on Fuad's podcast at one point he's like talking about like taking like way too much diazide and he's like I knew what I was doing was not like kosher like I knew it was like probably something I shouldn't be doing there was a better way he's like but I didn't ask like I just I mm -hmm. just kind of went with it but in the back of my mind I'm like I need to touch base with this feeling a little bit later. Cause like, I, I think that's like inner me, like, Hey, like yeah, you gotta, yeah, yeah. gotta pump the brakes. Cause like, this isn't going somewhere good. Right. I, I hear that a lot. Um, like people, I'm like, someone will ask me a question and I'm like, well, just ask your coach. And then they're almost afraid of like backlash. I'm like, you shouldn't, you're, I mean, maybe, maybe that's from an experience you've had with that, that coach. And, and you, sh you shouldn't be afraid to ask this person a question, right? You shouldn't be hesitant to and I know that some there is part of you know the athlete where they're like I pay this person I trust them I don't want to question their methods but you know I think there is something to be said like I try to encourage it with my clients I try to say like even just in the initial consult like I am here for any questions don't you know I if, if you're dealing with some struggle or something it's, it's possible I've dealt with it myself you know I'm here to be supportive like trying to create a, an environment in which the client feels uh, comfortable sharing those things. Right. I think, um, I remember I had a coach, you know, 2017 and, um, I experienced some backlash because I had mentioned, I was like post-show and I was like having a protein shake and nuts at night so I could go to sleep. Like I just wasn't sleeping. And I was like, I just need to have this. And I told him and he's like, you know, suck it up. You're a bodybuilder. And I remember this and I, I've said this a few times. I did not share anything with him. I still had the protein shake and nuts at night, but I did not share that with him from that point on. And I didn't share a lot of things with him from that point on because I was afraid of backlash if I had, you know, questioned him or or asked a question or had been continuing to do that and then share that with him. Right. And I remember that yeah. when I'm interacting with clients. It's one of those things, like I tell every single consult I get on, like any potential client, I'm like, Hey, I respect that. Like it is not easy to trust someone that you don't know. And even if you like me on Instagram, you should leave it at that. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm that's a whole other uh, tangential topic. I could go down with you. I'll, I'll put a pin in that, but like you, you don't know me and I respect that you can like me, but like, you're not going to be as forthcoming with being as vulnerable maybe as, as you should be, or as you want to be. And I personally, like, I think I, it took me like a year before I like warmed up to John and that's more to say about me than him. It's just like, I have things that make it difficult to communicate um, vulnerabilities with, with coaches. And like um, for the record, I don't think that was anything to do with like him being a male. It was more the fact of like, I don't know how this feedback 
or, or anything I leave him will be received. So maybe I should just handle it on my own. And I think it's a very common challenge. Uh, it's a, a very difficult barrier for the female athlete to overcome. And I, I walk everyone through this. Like when they start with me, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you point blank. Like you can respect me, but for this relationship to work, I need you to feel like, I need you to trust that I'm not going to be a jerk. If you question something or have a different idea, like I respect you for hiring me. And that needs to be understood. Like the dynamic is not that of like, um, like, yes, I I'm, I'm technically running the ship. Sure. I'm the coach, but like, there needs to be that mutual understanding that like, I will tell you what to do. And, and if you don't want to do that, that's under, that's okay. But I need you to participate and I need you to share some of the concerns you have, because if I don't know what's going on in your head. I can be driving us down a road that like, Hey, maybe you have a good reason that you're, you're not comfortable with it, or you're, you just have like other information that, that is relevant. And uh, one of the, the biggest way that I feel like I've been able to overcome this um, with clients because I've designed it in a way that like it would work for myself in theory um, with my spreadsheet, you know, you have your weekly sheets, you have all your objective data, you know, so your water, your sleep, GI, uh, gym performance, like relative to strength and like all of that, we can like check everything off. Okay. Things aren't moving. Well, we know these things aren't the problem. Then I have a section just for athlete feedback. And within that there's like five subsections and it's like, okay, body comp, like outside of checking pictures, like you've lived in your body. What do you notice? Like when you get out of the shower and you're getting leaner, like, you know, there's like a couple lines that start to come through when you're at that, like, Ooh, I feel good. I feel confident. Like, what are the things that kind of indicate to you, like we're moving in the right direction or we're not. And, you know, even outside of that, like adaptive components, like your mood, libido, irritability, like these things we know are going to change during prep. We know even, even not in prep in a fat loss phase, they are going, you're going to have these adaptations, but we need to know around the body weight, the body fat that these start to occur in order to pre-collect that data that coming out of prep is going to be essential because you're coming out of prep it's a disaster Men mentally, emotionally, you're, you're fatter than you want to be. You still feel dieted down. And at least I can tell you like, Hey, we're a couple pounds away from where these things started to really go south. So maybe if we get closer to that point, maybe you'll start to feel like a human again. And like, maybe you won't like, there's no guarantee, but at least we have that landmark. So we can, we can kind of make sense of that post-show phase. And I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you. Like you attract a very specific kind of client that is interested in learning about what we do and why we do it. So when it comes to questions, like I have a box that's like, ask, here's your question box. So it's very clear. I'm not going to be annoyed or feel like you're nagging me. If you ask questions like every week, you're allowed to, like, it's okay. And as simple as that is, that has been so impactful. Like, yeah. And I won't go through the other sections just because I don't feel like uh, listeners need to like, get a whole lecture on this, but like just having that like subjective data and knowing that like, Hey, she's prompting me. Like if there's something to share, cool. And if there's not, that's fine. You don't have to input everything, but like knowing that I genuinely want to know, and you're not bothering me. If you tell me these things, I, I found that to be pretty, pretty helpful. Yeah. The fact that you're asking the question in the first place, which maybe some coaches don't, they don't ask how you're feeling. And that's something that I've, I've noticed over time. Like I, I've had clients be like, 
you know, I was in a dieting phase and then it wasn't for like a show or anything. And I was like, I had no libido. I was like tired. I'm like, yeah, I probably should have asked them how they were feeling or how their libido was. Cause like, I was just running them into the ground and they weren't even getting ready for a show. Like maybe we could have done a maintenance phase or something. Uh, so I think that's, that's really important. And I obviously something I try to do now. And I think then you have that. And then also the way feedback also, whoops, hold on my mic. This is going to hit it. Oh, no, you're good. Okay, cool. Um, the the way you respond to that feedback too, that gives the client evidence that they're not going to be met with backlash if they say mess up on their diet or something. It's more of a like, hey, you know, um, maybe some sort of empathy or sympathy, but then also like um, not, you know, scolding them or or something like that, like they're a child, right? Or, or, or you know, however you choose to manage that, giving them that evidence of the fact that like they, this is a safe place. And then they have that and that builds over time. That's also how you can, kind of facilitate that trust. Uh, one thing I wanted to discuss is you had mentioned, um, how do I frame this? The, the trying to go down non-androgenic pathways uh, before going to androgens for female PED, PED use. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Um, I know that's very broad, but maybe you can give a little bit of yeah. Yeah. I think I can attack that because it's something that this was my experience when I first started learning about this stuff. And I, I have a feeling that for most listeners, this is like the first exposure of even hearing like, what are non-androgenics? Like what, what can I leverage? So like, um, I know in my videos, I, I know I can be a little too like heavy on the pathophys and like that's something that like I, I kind of have to remember like hey is it burn fat or build muscle that's like literally all like that's like most listeners that's all they care about and they want to know all like right. hey what are the risks like what are the benefits when should I take it how much should I take it and granted like there is nuance but I would say globally you have different lipolytic agents you have clenbuterol um a comparable lipolytic that I, I'm just going to say is a non-androgenic PED, PED, but like at the same time, Yohimbine is over-the-counter, over like really over-the-counter. So it's like, call it what you will, just for argument's sake, like they are comparable in the sense that they're going to increase your resting metabolic rate. Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of Yohimbine just from my own use with it. Um, it does tend to drive anxiety and like I, I tend to run a little more anxious. Uh, it's also really hard on the stomach. Like, I mean, um, from the sense that like I get nauseous, even taking like a quarter of the recommended dose and like, it's just not worth it for me. Like if, uh, if I'm going to have to feel that badly taking something like, well, okay, weigh out what are the benefits and did they outweigh the risk um, or the risk or the side effects. So um, clenbuterol though, I think is a very good option as a non-androgenic PED. Now, a lot of people will pause when it comes to clenbuterol and, and be very hesitant to consider it. Um, you know, what we know is that clen has actually been used for patients with cardiomyopathy, and it did show an improvement in their conditions, which like, I'm going to be honest, like, hey, it's, it's like one instance, but I don't think people should say, okay, like I can just like run this at whatever dose I want. I can take it indefinitely. But like whenever you make considerations around PEDs, um, for one, be be very particular about 
what risks uh, are associated and whether or not someone who is like providing you that risk profile, whether they're fully educated on it. Um, and, and this is not a campaign for Clen, like by any means. So I hope no one hears it that way. It's more to say like, you should be very accurate. And like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm huge on saying with any of this stuff, there are risks, like no compound is safe, even the non-antrogenic ones. And you should be informed of these risks, but you're oftentimes in this setting going to hear people perpetuate something that might not necessarily be supported. So remembering to like, you know, keep a very evidence-based uh, guided compass around all of this, because there are real, um, real outcomes that are associated with some of these uh, compounds. But at the same time, like you might not have the full context around what dose was being run, the individual's, you know, perhaps medical history, um, the duration of use. So, I mean, uh, just kind of getting back to like, what can Clen, for instance, do for you? It is a lipolytic. It is going to help you increase your resting metabolic rate. But where I see the use specifically for the female athlete is it is going to offer some anti-catabolic properties. So it doesn't work on the androgen receptor. It actually works via the mTOR pathway. And this can be helpful, especially when we're talking about a bikini competitor, you know, someone who already, they're likely not going to have an anabolic in place. So having something that does offer that muscle protection, that's huge. And like, the fact is like, yes, in a prep, you are pushing past what physiologically is reasonable in terms of preserving muscle retention, or preserving muscle mass, and encouraging muscle retention. However, if you have something like this in place, it can help. It can help you push just a little bit more. And, you know, I, I really think like when it comes down to it, we see that I think it's up to 80 micrograms is considered, um, very minimal risk of any, any kind of long-term health outcome. Um, but again, with all that being said, if you are someone who's wanting to go down that path, if you are wanting to leverage Clen. I would still I would take studies and take what other educators are saying about this. I would understand it, but I would also base it on your needs. So do you need it? If you don't need it, don't take it. Like if you are doing great on your own it, and, and Hey, like if you, if you start at the lowest dose possible, um, what are the side effects? Are you, are you someone who is going to be impacted um, just off the use of an additional stimulant? Is your sleep going to be impacted? Because there could be an argument where it's like, yeah, it, it, it is helpful, but it is not helpful uh, versus how impactful and harmful it is in your case. So um, those are those are two right there. But outside of that, I mean, like I think any of the tools that are going to help in terms of managing blood glucose. So your metformin, um, I think that could be an option. I personally, I, I have diabetes in my family. I'm my A1C runs a little bit higher and I'm finding with age, even when I'm very lean, like it's a pain to get me under like 85, which is like, it's just the reality. So like, I mean, would I be on metformin without it? Yeah. Like I, if I wasn't um, competing, I would still probably have this in place just from a health standpoint, but metformin can be a useful tool. It's one that isn't, obviously it's not an androgenic PED. So that's going to be something that depending on the athlete, if they tend to run a little hypo to begin with, maybe, maybe you don't need it. But if you're someone who does struggle with that blood glucose control and you're looking at options, I mean, that is a consideration. It, um, I think 
outside of that, I mean, like L-carnitine is a good one. I keep that in year round. I think that L-carnitine, I mean, it can help with lipolysis, but again, like when we're talking about this, keep in mind, none of these options are magic and you're not going to do anything other than supplement what is already happening. I've prepped several times without anything in, prepped with an again, I've prepped without it. And I found that the best results that I've gotten were the ones in which I had a really awesome like timeline. And that, that being this last year, I mean, like I, I had all my boxes checked. I, I don't really want to say all um, stones unturned because that phrase just drives me crazy, but like I did everything I could to set myself up for success. So any kind of lipolytic agents that were added on, I mean, they enhanced that, uh, but they certainly like they enhanced something that was already happening. And they, they helped facilitate a process that was created um, primarily through the deficit and through, um, I'm sorry, through the deficit via intake and output. But yeah, I, I would consider, um, you know, everything that we've discussed and then, you know, growth hormone, I think could be an option. now the issue with growth hormone, honestly, is um, the obvious one is that, Hey, if you have any kind of medical history of cancer, that's off the table. A call I had today, girl had stage one uterine cancer uh, a few years ago, and she is, albeit very healthy and, and um, in remission. However, that's something that, you know, her starting prep, we're not, it's off the table for her. Like, it's just, that's kind of blanketly not something we're going to consider. And I think while growth hormone, it can be very helpful. And I, I would say for myself, that is one of uh, my preferred lipolytics to have. However, it is really expensive and it's something that you're going to have a hard time sourcing. So again, like you're looking at, okay, what are the potential risks? What are the benefits? Then you also have to look at the cost, the cost benefit. Like, Hey, like, am I doing everything to justify using something that is financially, uh, this impactful? Because I can tell you when I'm not tracking, when I'm not doing cardio, I'm not taking GH. Like I don't, really deserve to because I'm I'm not really maximizing everything else I'm doing uh, it needs to be used in a way that is conducive with your goals and um I mean outside of that you you have your thyroid hormone that I mean I would say is really reserved for contest prep and that's something we can go into if, if you feel like it's useful but I mean that still is very much used in place as a restorative support not necessarily a um, an add-on, like it's not like your clen or um, really your GH where you're, you were adding something to the process to get something more out of it um, on a super physiological level. Thyroid hormone is something that should arguably be in place given the nature of the sport we're doing. Um, but I, I digress. And I, I know, I know, you know, this stuff like back your hand. So did I, did I miss anything? Is that they cover almost, almost all of them? I would say from from what I know, that's that's most of, if not all. Um, I could be missing something myself too, but that would those would be the pathways I would use um, if I was trying to just ma maximize anabolic without androgens. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, I would. I, I don't know if we'll have it on, on this discussion, but I, I think thyroid is something that I do want to discuss at some point, just because there's a lot of misinformation around it. Um, I'm gonna get you out of here. One last thing I wanted to touch on and you touched on this earlier is just that um 
Anavar might not be the best choice, uh, you know, as a first exposure um, to actual androgens. So we're talking about this. We You have all of the anabolic pathways. You've maximized those, right? And you've come to the, the point where you are considering an androgen. Uh, now, is Anavar in that discussion? Um, or are there other things that we can utilize potentially? And one other thing, I don't know if you can touch on this in the same, um, you know, uh, point, but I think that you kind of are also alluding to the fact that it may not always be necessary to go to androgens uh, or even some of these anabolic pathways, uh, depending on your level of competition and your genetic propensity for muscle growth um, in the bikini class. Um, maybe you could touch on that first and then uh, talk a little bit about yeah. the androgens. I can do that. Um, so relative to bikini, I think, I think it really does come down to, and you, you hit the nail on the head is what is your propensity to build and to lose? Um, if you have an individual who naturally just in a, naturally played, you know, played sports in high school and, you know, maybe started weightlifting at a very early age and, you know, they have the best genetics in the world and they find that like, Hey, I, I already have a physique that resembles these top athletes. Um, you might not need to be, this might not be a discussion you have to consider. This might be something that you can kind of save, but know like, Hey, it might not even be there for me in the future. Um, I would say that majority of people in bikini will not naturally have the physique that they're looking for. Just given the criteria. I mean, I, I think especially now in 2023, what they're asking for is, I mean, if you, you zoom in on these girls delts and you, you just look at the delt and bikini and it's like, no, that's a figure delt. Like that's like wild. And that's like them showing up flat too. A lot of times, like it's, it's fully capped out round angular and it's awesome. I love this look. Like I it's, I'm a fan of it, but you have to be honest, like, Hey, that is so many laterals. Like that is just decades, a decade of laterals. Like, you know, so same thing with the glutes, like the upper glutes. Um, now that's considered in balance with the lower glutes that are fully carved out the whole teardrop tie-in, you know, etched out again. I love it, but that is a look that is going to be very difficult to achieve, uh, naturally. And even if you're doing everything right, um, I think it will still be difficult. And I think you could potentially be creating an environment hormonally where it is more difficult and more negative for the athlete. Um, also with the bikini, you know, being it is a division that has a lower muscularity requirement. I mean, there are bikini shows every weekend and you have much the, the lower barrier to entry makes it to where you have that encouragement to compete frequently. Um, so you take that in addition to someone who does not have stable test levels is not having an ovulatory cycle. Um, you know, potentially they are having a bleed, but they're not experiencing that natural rise of progesterone and estradiol. And you find that like, Hey, long-term this person is, enabling um, a health outcome that they might not even realize just simply by getting on stage several times a year, back-to-back -back years. And 
I think it's worth considering if you're someone who is going to compete frequently to at least have some hormonal support in place. Um, and that does come down to ensuring like, okay, if you're not ovulating, what are your options? Is it that you're not having that rise in progesterone? And are you able to correct that in a way that does, does result in, you know, in a positive outcome? Are you able to bring your test levels up? You know, if they're so low, I, if they're, if they're sub 20 nanograms per deciliter at the beginning of prep, like we know they're not getting better during a contest prep. We know they're only going to get lower. What are these low hormone states? What is that doing for you from a physique standpoint? And really, what is that doing for you long-term? And if you're, if it matters more to be labeled as a natural athlete, okay, that's, you're an adult, that's your decision, but like, you also have to consider like that label is not taking into account the negatives uh, that are associated with having suboptimal levels. And I mean, for many, many women, you're going to have levels that do resemble um, hypogonadal men. So your low test, low estradiol, low progesterone. And I mean, I can tell you like it, it's going to feel bad in contest prep, even with hormonal support, even with stable tests, even with some progesterone. I, I've been on TRT for over a year, and I can tell you there is a significant improvement um, out, outside of prep. Yeah, sure. In prep, if you want to say relative to previous preps where it wasn't optimal, but outside of prep, there is a significant impact on just day-to-day -day life and overall well-being. And if that's what can be done with supporting normal to normal high levels of testosterone, knowing that, hey, I'm going to get on stage, I, I'm, I'm going to get on stage regularly, I'm going to be competing in a sport that objectively will suppress these hormones. Well, then I think it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a good rationale to have at least some stability in place for the time being. And if that's something that down the road you, you want to reconsider, that's fine. But just know have a, have a rationale behind what you do or what you don't do. And I think the pride around like being, Hey, like I'm not an enhanced athlete guys. I had the same chip on my shoulder. Like I was, I was, a. I had the, said the same things like, yeah, I'm not enhanced. And like, it's congratulations. You're in a sport. That's a non-tested organization with people that, want to be very competitive and are willing to do whatever it takes. And if, if being natural, if it matters that much to you, like truly like no support at all. Okay. Then you, you should probably, like, I would recommend an athlete compete in an organization that is tested, that values those same things, because the reality is like, there is going to be such a discrepancy in the physiques compared to someone who is at least supporting normal function. So I, I know I kind of bled into both questions, but that kind of answers, uh, that kind of gets me to that first one you asked around, like, what would be the androgen of choice uh, to begin with? And that would be TRT. And that is, I mean, the caveat is that is for an individual with low testosterone. That is not for an individual who is uh, PCOS and naturally running a little bit higher than others. If you're someone who already has a high androgen profile, I would not take what I'm saying and say, well, yeah, Corey said, start TRT. That's not what I'm saying. You should for sure work with specialists 
I think that if you have low tests in your off season and you're finding that like, Hey, I'm doing everything right. I am taking all the proper measures to make sure that like I'm supporting uh, restoration. If it's not happening, okay, but you have to consider like, what are your options and are these options short-term or long-term solutions? And even if TRT is on the table, really consider that like, hey, if muscle growth is the goal, TRT is going to give you a lot more insight into your ability to tolerate an anabolic down the down, in the future, down the road in your competitive career. And what I experienced myself is like three, three and a half milligrams. It takes me to almost two high levels. So I know when it comes to anabolics, I can probably get away with two and a half milligrams of Anavar. I probably don't need a very aggressive load. The beauty in this is like, we don't, can't do this with any other anabolic. So in terms of like taking a very safe, a conservative approach to something that, that should be, should be approached with a lot of caution. This is another preliminary check. This is another way that you can at least know like, Hey, I, I did everything I could to minimize the risk of urealization. And I mean, that's, that's where I think like test should be the starting point. It should be your foundation because it truly what I've seen in myself and in athletes is it is a very strong anabolic and you can actually facilitate a lot of muscle growth, even just taking yourself if prior you were low, if, if you're in that 60, 70, 80 range, you can facilitate a lot of muscle growth. And that, I mean, that's amazing. Like we should be pumped about that, that like, Hey, we don't have to roll the dice with something that likely isn't even the compound we think it is. We, we have, um, I want to say a precursor, but I, I hope that isn't confusing to people. Like we, we have something that is objectively just safer in the long run. Um, I think, I think I hit both of those. What do you think? Did I miss yeah, anything? No, I think that was great. Yeah, I, I love that. I uh, I think there is still a lot of fear around females and taking testosterone, but it's really important to, to note that it's bioidentical hormone. Females have a certain physiological amount of testosterone uh, that they produce naturally, or in the case of, you know, someone who's competing, maybe not so much. Um, but that it, with, like when you're in the physiological range, and like you said, we have the transgender data, it's reference of like, when do we start to experience those viral viralizing side effects, right? And keeping someone well within that range. Um, and then also paying attention to their individual response to the compound, right? Uh, like you said, like, you know, you tend to feel best around what is like 70 nanograms per deciliter or around that range, right? And that's going to be de very dependent on the individual. But with all that being said, it's very safe, bioidentical. Our body tends to handle it very well. And it's a great anabolic. Um, I know it doesn't aromatize as much in females, but it still does. And that's also great. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a really, um, I mean, I'm, I'm very pro, uh, TRT and, and, and even for, for males as a first exposure, I think it's, it's sometimes a smart decision, but that's for another discussion. So, um, Corey, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. Uh, this is a great, great podcast. I have a ton more questions. I don't know if maybe sometime down the road and like, months down the road we could maybe get on another call uh but yes i just wanted to thank you for this call and uh i learned a lot even just discussing this with you and i think i hope that the people who are listening are also able to take something away 
um, if if you don't mind, um, where can people reach you and uh, your services? Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. And absolutely, I would love to come back on. And if uh, listeners uh, picked up on anything or have any follow-up questions, you know, please leave them leave them in the comments. Let us know. And we'll try to go through and um, answer any like hard, quick ones that we can. So uh, Dylan, thank you again. Um, people can reach me on my Instagram at Corey underscore fit. So C-O-R-Y underscore F-I-T. And I am accepting coaching clients. There is a little bit of a wait list. However, what I'm offering right now are one-time consults. And that's something that is specific to blood work, PEDs, timeline design, uh, just any anything like that in the realm. Uh, I do have a lot of people who are currently working with coaches who may not have the assistance on the PED side of things, but really want to make sure that they understand what they're doing. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, uh, just use the link in my bio, set up a call, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure to link that down below in the description of this video as well. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you. Hey, just wanted to thank you for watching the podcast. I hope you enjoyed everything that we discussed here. And if you have any questions, feel free to leave them in the comments below. Like, comment, and subscribe to the channel. Corey's links are linked down in the description. And if you're interested in coaching, feel free to click the link down below to book a coaching consultation. Thanks for watching.